Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today. And thank you again so much for joining us. And we are continuing our study on Nehemiah and the 12 gates, especially in this segment of the book of Nehemiah. I'm calling this series Roadmap to Reformation because I believe it speaks so powerfully and so prophetic of the restoration and reformation of the house of God and the people of God under the new covenant leadership of a greater than Ezra or Nehemiah, one called Jesus. It amazes me that even the names are so significant. There is so much that I have left out of this series that's impossible to touch it and exhaust it all. I feel like I, I'm trying to move a little bit more rapidly. We only did two segments last week on the East Gate to try to expedite this a little bit because we're getting somewhere near 50 programs we have filmed on this. But, uh, you know, each one of these gates of Nehemiah speak of some kind of a reformation or something that God is restoring to the new covenant people of God. It is significant which gate Jesus comes through when He does each thing that He does to bring about reformation. And it's so powerful as I continue the study to just see how, how marvelously connected it is you know, even, like I said, the names, there was like, for instance, there was 42 stations from the time they left Egypt to they came into the promised land under Moses. And there's 42 sets of builders under Ezra and Nehemiah to bring about the restoration of the city. Uh, under uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra's name means my helper. Nehemiah's name means the comforter. Nehemiah begins the building program in the book of Nehemiah, but he ultimately becomes the governor of the city by the end of the book. You say, well, what's significant about that? Because Ezra and Nehemiah, my helper, Ezra's name means my helper. Nehemiah's name means the comforter. These are both a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to restore you to your new covenant position and right in the kingdom of God, where the Holy Spirit ultimately becomes the governor of the city, which is, first of all, us individually, and then corporately as the church, because it is not one individual that makes up the city of God, or one individual that makes up the temple of God. We can individually be temples of God, but together, collectively, we form the city of God, the bride, the Lamb's wife, according to Revelation chapter number 21. And again, I cannot review all of this every time I come on, so you have to go back and watch uh, what we've done and archived. And again, quickly to say to you that everything we've done to date is archived on our YouTube channel, where you can go back and watch it at your leisure, or you can listen to the audio portions of this on our podcast from iTunes or an RSS feed from your Android device. And it's easy to do by simply going to our website, at lenhouse.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there are icons, and if you'll tap them, they will take you directly to the link to our channels. Now, we, there's all kinds of stuff over YouTube that other people post with us preaching for them, but my channel is directly off of that, and you can watch it at your leisure, and you can catch up to what we're saying here. Because I want to move on today from the East Gate. We want to talk about the Gate of Ephraim. This will be about the 10th Gate 
of the 12 gates of Nehemiah that we've studied. Now, what we're going to do is read it first of all. And uh, the, the place where we're going to draw the text from is Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, verses number 9 through 18. It says, And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, which means the governor, the Holy Spirit, if I could say it like that, which is the governor. And Ezra the priest, the scribe, the Levites, taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people of the priests and the Levites unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month and that they should publish and proclaim in all the, their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olives, and go and fetch olive branches, and pine branches, and myrtle branches, and palm branches, and the branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them, and made them booths, every one upon the roof of his house, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the street of the water gate, and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. This is the, at the street of the gate of Ephraim. So I want you to see that they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles just outside of the water gate, and just outside of the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come out, come again, again out of captivity, made booths, and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, unto that day, had not the children of Israel done so, and there was very great gladness. And also day by day, from the first day unto the last, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Now, it goes on. Let me, let, let me read this also to you uh, from the book of Zechariah, because it talks about the Ephraim a little bit. It says in Zechariah 9, in verse number 9 through 17, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horsemen from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even this day do I declare that I will render unto you double unto you. When I have bent Judah for me and filled the bow with Ephraim and raised up thy sons, O Zion, 
against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. And the sword shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and make, no, make a noise as through wine. And they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of His people, for they shall be as stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon His, hand, upon his land. How great is His goodness, and how great is His beauty! Corn shall make thy men cheerful, and new mine thy maids. Now let me just stop here for a moment and just talk about this gate called Ephraim. The first thing I want to say to you is that Ephraim's name means doubly fruitful or double portion. Now remember what he says down here in Zechariah 9. He says, I am going to, even this day, declare unto you, I'm going to, rend, I'm going to render unto you double. I'm going to give you double for your trouble. In other words, uh, God is saying to you, I'm going to render to you uh, the double portion. I'm going to cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and I'm going to stop the battle bow, and I'm going to cut off, and I'm going to speak peace to the nations. And because of the blood of your covenant, I'm going to call you to return to me, you prisoners of hope. What I simply want to say to you is that Jesus, in His redemptive work, received double for your sin. In other words, it has been paid for over and over again. We're going to get to the Mifkad gate here uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, but what the Mifkad gate was was the place where it was kind of speaking a little bit about a, a judgment seat and uh, the place of uh, uh, the appointed place of judgment. And I want you to understand something. The judgment of Jesus in the new covenant was your judgment. He didn't just die for you, He died as you. And because of the blood of this new covenant, you can shout and rejoice because your captivity has been turned and you have received double for your transgressions. And Because in the work and person of Calvary, Jesus so paid a debt He did not owe that He could break the battle bow and say to you, the warfare is accomplished and preach a gospel of peace. Now one of the things that I want you to see is that they celebrated this Feast of Tabernacles. Wow, there's so much it's in me today to share with you. But in this Feast of Tabernacles, they, they, they celebrated it just outside of the gate of Ephraim. They came out into the gate of Ephraim and, and, and celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And the first thing they did here is that Ezra, the priest, began to read the words of the law. And the people began to weep and to mourn and to come into repentance. Now what I want you to see is that in the Old Covenant, Ezra reads the law. But in the New Covenant, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, He came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Every jot, every tittle, and every demand of the law had been fully met in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He was wounded for your transgression. He was bruised for your iniquity. And the chastisement so you could have peace was laid on Him. And He told them, this is not a feast and a time for mourning. This is a time 
of celebration. And this is a time of understanding you've received double for your iniquity and double for your sin, that even in the day of judgment, I'm probably jumping way ahead and mentioning too much about the Mithcad gate, but at the gate, Mithcad gate, the scripture tells us that we can have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this present world. Hallelujah. And as you begin to understand that, there, it's not a, something to be fearful of as a believer. It is something to rejoice and realize that your weeping and your mourning and your sorrow have been turned into joy, and that this is a season that when you come into an understanding of the Feast of Tabernacles, that you can go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I believe that, you know, in the economy of Israel, there was three major feasts with feasts that, of course, went with each one of these feasts. There was, a, but I, I want to just talk about the main feast. There was the feast of Passover, that speaks of the redemption from Egypt by the blood of a spotless lamb. They put blood on the doorpost, a lamb inside the house, and the Exodus began. Fifty days later, they come to what is now celebrated as the feast of weeks. What we call it was fifty days later what we celebrate, the Feast of Pentecost. And so just a few weeks ago in May, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, which was the birthing of the church. Under the Old Covenant, I mean, under the, in the Old Testament, they built a tower of Babel, and when they built a tower that reached into, it was man's self-effort to try to build a tower that reached into the heavens. And at the Tower of Babel, God confused their language and scattered them abroad among the nations. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, they come this time not to the Tower of Babel. They come to the day of Pentecost, and this time God gives them new tongues to speak with, and He turns them back in. He gives them back their heavenly language, and this time He doesn't scatter, but He begins to gather them out of all nations. And there's a gathering that begins at the Feast of Weeks of the Feast of Pentecost. And many of us in the American church and around the world understand these two feasts. We understand Passover, and most of us have experienced the blood of the Lamb and the redemption of the blood of Jesus. And for those who have moved on into the Pentecostal experience, we have received and experienced the power of the day of Pentecost. But many don't know, and the, what's, what's amazing to me is we got filled with the Holy Spirit, and we as Pentecostals put a sign in our yard that said we are full gospel, when the truth of it is we're only two-thirds gospel at best when we come to Pentecost, because there is a feast that is beyond the Feast of Pentecost called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Gathering, or the Feast of Harvest that takes place in the seventh month. Now, let me just say to you that, that if the Feast of Passover is something that can be experienced in the life of the believer, and that we've applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorpost of our hearts, and that the Feast of Pentecost found its fulfillment in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on all flesh, and there were people there out of every nation that heard them speak in their own language. God restored the language that was confused at Babel and gave them back a pure language, a heavenly language. It was the birthplace of the church. 
Now, one of the first usages of the word church is when they came out of Egypt, God calls them the church in the wilderness. So the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2, and it was the beginning of their wilderness journey, if you will, their exodus. And I talked about about two segments ago how all through the Scripture there is an exodus paradigm. It's not an accident that on the Mount of Transfiguration that Moses and Elijah speak to Jesus concerning His decease. The Greek word for decease there is the Greek word exodus, because here's the leader Moses of the first exodus talking to Jesus, who's the leader of the real exodus. Moses led him out of the bondage of Egypt. Jesus is going to lead them out of the bondage of legalism and old covenant mentalities, being slaves and servants into being sons and heirs of God. You also see the Apostle Paul write to the church at Corinth and said everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have now come. So everything that happened to them under Moses was a picture for that first century who were coming out of the bondage of the slavery of legalism. And I talked about how Egypt in the New Covenant is not just sin, but according to Revelation the 10th chapter, our Lord was crucified, I'm sorry, in Revelation the 11th chapter, verse 9 I believe it is, it said our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt, our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem, the centerpiece of Judaism and Old Covenant thinking. So what He's doing is calling us out of another exodus in the wilderness they literally, Jesus fed the multitude in the wilderness. It was an exact replica of the first wilderness journey under Moses, because when Jesus feeds the 5,000, they just left the Feast of Passover, just like Moses and the children of Israel did in Exodus chapter 12. They crossed the Red Sea in Exodus. In John chapter 5, they crossed the Sea of Tiberias. They're in the wilderness, and the multitude are hungry. When Moses brought them out, they come to the wilderness, they're hungry, and God gave them manna to eat. In John chapter 5, Jesus brings the, the, the multitude out of uh, uh, the Feast of Passover. They cross the Sea of Tiberias, they're in the wilderness, and He's going to feed the multitude. And in that wilderness, they said, what sign do you show us that you're in fact the Messiah? And He said to them, He uses this exact wording, He said, Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead, but I am the true bread that came down from God out of heaven. So He's showing them that another exodus is afoot. And that exodus is, they've been delivered by the blood of a lamb, and now in Acts chapter 2, they're beginning, they've, they've left They've left the bondage because the cross and the blood was the deliverance from that bondage. But now at Acts, chapter 2 was the beginning of the church. For the next 40 years, most of the new covenant was written, and the next 40-year transition period, the only feast that was not celebrated was the Feast of Tabernacles. And just like the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they celebrated the Passover, and then they celebrated Pentecost at, at the foot of Mount Sinai. They didn't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles until after they came into the Promised Land, and God told them to come out of their sealed houses and to dwell in booths 
to remember how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt and made them to dwell in booths and supplied and made them dwell in booths or tabernacles, literally these little huts that they would make, that they would dwell in to remember how the Lord brought them out. In other words, I think that the Feast of Tabernacles is coming to the full understanding of how the Lord brought us out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, and how He delivered us from the law. In the book of Ezra, Ezra reads the law. But in the New Testament, we're going to see Jesus come into uh, John chapter number 7, verse 37. Jesus attends the Feast of Tabernacles, and it says this, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, and Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles does not get up and preach the law. He said, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me. In other words, there is a shift from Moses to Christ. And the fullness of the Feast of Tabernacles, just like you see Jesus was the Lamb who was slain. Fifty days later, there in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit is given in fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made in John chapter 14, where He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And I and my Father, we will come, and we will make our abode in you. In other words, He will tabernacle Himself in us. The Feast of Tabernacles, I believe, finds its fulfillment in, in its, uh, in, in just like you saw the natural feast fulfilled with Jesus at Passover, and then you see the natural feast of Pentecost fulfilled at Acts chapter 2, and the church is birthed, and for the next 40 years, the church is in the wilderness transition, coming out from underneath of the bondage of the law, and leaving the legalism of that old covenant Egyptian paradigm, and they're coming into the promised land of the fullness of rest, but the way into the most holy place was not yet made while the first tabernacle still stood. So in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, just like Hallelujah. Just like the children of Israel, when they came all the way through the wilderness and entered into Jericho, and then they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles after they were in the land of promise, here we find in the New Covenant and the book of Revelation, we find that the moment the city of Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, is destroyed and the tabernacle is torn down by the Romans in Revelation chapter 11, that there's a new tabernacle and a new temple of God that comes on the scene. Revelation 21 said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The Message Bible says it like this, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He made His home with men. That's the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles in the destruction of that old tabernacle and that coming out of Egypt, they've now come into the promise and into the city of God, and now we celebrate the palm branches and the branches of goodly trees, which are not just physical little trees out here, but they symbolize people. We are the trees of the Lord, the planting of Him. For the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. In other words, the branches of goodly trees that are being gathered 
are for the harvest of the nations to come together as one nation, one people that are drinking from the water of the fountain that Jesus stood up on that great day, the last day of the feast, and said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink of the water of life freely, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I believe that that's a fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me say this as well. Because the church was birthed at Pentecost, the word church means the called out ones. And I've, I've said this for several places in my teaching throughout this series. But the reality of it is, is they're called the church, the called out ones, because they were called out of Egypt. But in Acts chapter 2, he was calling them out of the old covenant. He's calling them out of an old dimension. And they are about to enter into like a spiritual wilderness where there is a transition period where the old covenant, according to the book of Hebrews, was fading away and a new covenant had been inaugurated, but was still coming on the scene, and that old priesthood was fading, and a Melchizedek priesthood was coming on the scene. And during that period of time, it was the church that was in the wilderness. That was the wilderness experience for the church spiritually, was from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. When you come to the book of Revelation, you see seven churches that are in Asia. But from the fourth chapter of Revelation, until the rest of the book of Revelation, the church is never mentioned. Now, I'm going to say something I think is powerful. Most teachers will tell you the reason the church is never mentioned after the seventh chapter, or, I'm sorry, after the third chapter of the book of Revelation is because they were raptured out. I beg to differ with that. And the reason I do is because I don't think the church was raptured out after the third chapter. I think the church simply is no longer in the wilderness. Because when you see the fourth chapter of Revelation open, there's a throne. I talked about this in the last two segments. There's the throne that's set. There's a little book that is open. And there is a rainbow round about that throne in sight like a new emerald. It's a picture of the new covenant. The rainbow is a symbol of a covenant. The throne is a symbol of the kingdom. And the one who's seated on the throne is a picture of the reigning King Jesus. It is in fulfillment of the promise of the overcomer in Revelation chapter 3. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me in my throne and will grant him to sup with me. Eat the covenant meal. The covenant meal is the new covenant meal that inaugurates the kingdom and the new covenant. So what has happened is the church is no longer in the wilderness. Now they're called the kingdom, they're called the bride, they're called the city of God, but they are no longer in the wilderness. They have now come into the promised land called rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 declares that promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So they're coming in to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. A harvest took place, I believe, in the first century where he harvested the sheep from the goats, the goat nation and those that were his and those that were not his, and the kingdom was taken from natural Israel and given to the nation producing the fruit thereof. Now, I believe that's an experience we can experience in the life of the believer today as well. Well, we're out of time. I can't take much more time, but if you'd like to sow a seed in the ministry, please simply go to our website, and there's a place where you can give via credit card or through our PayPal server. Also, you can call the number on the screen and someone will take your call, your credit card there, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. Take time to do that today. We do need your help. Stay on the air. God bless you and thank you for joining us. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.